This is a Salto Media Original Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Ireland Podcast. This is Fender Jackson. This episode's guest is Tommy Keane. Who, says you? Tommy Keane, says I. Who's he? He's the guy who plays that solo on Dirty Old Town on the Illin Pipes. What a treasure he is. And his catalogue is actually quite vast. I list it in the episode. I shan't do it again. So the conversation includes his list of great players that he's played with, including, most importantly, Jacqueline McCarthy, Porrick Keane, Siobhan Keane and Macy Kate Keane, a.k.a. the Keane family. He talks about getting the recording gig for Robin Sotomay and The Lash, Phil Chevron, Elvis Costello, Red Roses for me, Robin Sotomay and The Lash, of course, and If I Should Fall From Grace With God, the arrangement of Dirty Old Town, the old grey whistle test performance, very speeding, the three parts of the Illin Pipes, the chanter, the range of the Illin Pipes versus the bagpipes, overblowing and octave notes, the three drones, the three regulators, Dirty Old Town breaking down that solo, the use of colour and vibrato, Paddy Maloney's vibrato, Liam O'Flynn's vibrato, who Tommy listens to, the different levels of familiarisation of Irish music, having pipes in different keys. Now, Peabury Illin, the renewed popularity of the Illin pipes, the old main drag, the ending of the Dirty Old Town solo, the blues, the fiddle part by Henry Benna, Pugutry in Motion, Body of an American, Thanks to Noel Hill, playing live gigs with the Pogues and the Dubliners, A Pair of Brown Eyes, The Overblow, tunes which are not pipe-friendly, the recording environment for Robin Sodomy and the Lash, Evis Costello witnessing the Illin Pipes, Davy Spillane, Tommy Carney, starting out on the Illin Pipes, Colin Broderick and Leo Flynn's Pipes, Porrick McDonagh, playing with the Pogues live, as well as other topics. It is a granular conversation. We really go into detail. So this is one for the Anorak fan, as well as for anybody who's interested in the Illin pipes. And I feel this is a bit of a historical document, to be honest with you. I'm so glad to have recorded this. You know, if nobody listens to this podcast, I don't care. I'm having a ball. Last week, somebody said to me, Fender Jackson, who's your target audience for the Ireland podcast? And I responded, Fender Jackson. And they responded, you think you are somebody, don't you? And here's me. Hi. And here's them. Right. And here's me back at them. What? And here's them. Nothing. And so on it went. And before you think I'm getting above myself, I'm not getting paid for this. Like, not a bean. Okay, maybe somebody's bought me some coffees in this website of mine. But mostly, not all I've received. So, cut me some slack for crying out loud. If you do like what it is that I'm doing here, and you'd like to see it continue, the best way you can do that 
is by sharing, subscribing, and all that stuff. So the more listeners that this podcast receives, the better chance it has of a future. Please share. Please subscribe. All that. Thanks. I absolutely loved this conversation with Tommy Keane. And Tommy, thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing with me this beautiful, beautiful chat and all your music. So grateful I am to you. Tam Ambuichtich. Band. Give us the Ellen Pipe finish for a man you don't meet every day. What do you do? My name is Tommy Keane and I play the Illum Pipes. That's all you do? A <clears throat> uh, few other instruments as well. And um, I used to do an awful lot of uh, teaching, teaching music. And uh, for over 30 years, actually, uh, since I moved to Galway. And uh, it uh, kind of came to an abrupt stop uh, with COVID. <clears throat> and uh, there was at least a two-year break, and I figured I'd done done enough of it at that stage and uh, didn't go back to it since then. So I'm enjoying playing now. So mostly just playing live, that's your main focus now? Yeah, yeah. My wife plays concertina, so we play, uh, play a bit together at uh, gigs and festivals and weddings and things like that. I must give this... <clears throat> This story straight up. So I was standing outside Shea McGowan's funeral. I couldn't get in, obviously, it's too packed. But I was standing in the, you know, outside the church. And Cato Reardon started singing A Man You Don't Meet Every Day. And I heard the Illin Pipe solo coming on. And I was thinking, that's a great solo. That's a fantastic solo. And then, you know, the day came to an end and I was in Galway back in back at home and I started googling who who's this guy who played Ellen Pipes and who was who was there at the I figured whoever it was playing Ellen Pipes on Rum Sodomy in the Lash would have been at the, the funeral. So I started doing some investigative work and I found your name up there on the credits and then I found out that you lived in Ormore. So yeah. I thought this is this is great. Only down the road. So I sent you an email or Facebook or whatever I used, I can't remember, and um, said, would you be up for an interview? And you wrote back saying... Yeah, I'd love to, yeah, yeah. But? But, what did I say? You couldn't do it straight away. Oh, yeah, because I was going to China, yeah. 
<laughs> I was going away for Christmas. And, and you told me <clears> why <throat> you were in China was because... Yeah, we have a daughter there, uh, Siobhan, mm. and she's been out there about five or six years at this stage. And so I was thinking, if he's out visiting his daughter, Siobhan, and you said that you're in Beijing, I was thinking, he might know Jilin Chu. Yeah, well, actually, we were there when I got your when I got your message. We were there at the time. Well, we were in China, I think. So I said, your daughter might know a guy called Jilin Chu, and the reason why I said that is because Jilin Chu is a fantastic uh, fad dog player. He plays a tin whistle very well, and and flute, yep, and flute. <laughs> so you're letting the cat out of the bag a little bit by saying that that you know we can play the flute, because I said to you, your daughter might know him, and then. Didn't you send me a message saying that, uh, I think you, had, you sent me a photograph? If we were in a van with them the next day going to the, going to the Great Wall. That's right. <laughs> so I've been telling people about how, I've been using this story about how small the world is. Yeah. You know, that, that here I was looking up this random guy playing Ellen Pipes for Robin Sutherland and the Lash because I was at Shea McGowan's funeral. And then he knows... My good friend in Beijing, you know. Yeah, and 23 million people in Beijing. Yeah. <laughs> is that all there is now? <laughs> <clears throat> so um, I wanted to talk to you about Run Sodomy in the last. Now, I know you've got a, a, a vast career already, you know, with playing with Clannad. Uh You played with Clannad, didn't you? We did some recording with them in London, yeah. That was just recording. Yeah. yeah and I've got, I've got a list here. So... You played with uh, Roger Sherlock, Bobby Casey, Clannad, Ralph McTell, Thatch Kelly Band, Druid Theatre Company, Liam Clancy, Shes Keane, Sergeant Early Band, Alec Finn, Jacqueline McCarthy, Ireland O'Leonard, Irish Philharmonic Choir and Orchestra, Didanen, and not to forget the likes of Jacqueline McCarthy, Barrett Keane, Siobhan Keane, Missy Kate Keane. Yeah, all the family, yeah. And who else have I left out of the family? Uh, that's the family, yeah. That's the family. four of them, yeah. So three kids and uh, Jacqueline, yeah. So I wanted to talk to you mainly today about Rum Sodomy and The Lash. Just that whole session recording. It was the three songs that you played on? Three, yeah. yeah. So first of all, how did you get picked? Okay, I was thinking about this. So I went to London in 1980. I was there for seven years. And you would, there wouldn't be too many uh, playing the pipes there. And pipes w were starting to be used on recordings like your Debbie Spillane and of course you had Paddy Maloney, Liam Flynn, people like that who were popping up on all sorts of albums that weren't traditional Irish uh, music. So we were playing... In London, you'd you'd have gigs in the pubs, the Irish pubs, and there'd be two or three musicians uh, playing the traditional instruments, and you'd often have a guitar player then who would be accompanying you, sing a few songs. And it was a Dublin guy called Joe Palmer. He had a record shop somewhere in, in near Hampstead in London. And he, he was one of those guys that played gigs with us. And he decided to do some recording, to record a few of his songs. And he must have known Phil Chevron, either through the music shop or through the Dublin connection. Uh, Joe was from Dublin. And, he and got Phil, him, Phil Chevron's a guitarist of the Pogues. Yeah, he yeah. joined them later on. He was in some other band before. The Radiators. Yeah, yeah. So he got him to produce the session. And Joe must have said to him, oh, you know, I play with this pipes player. So I'm not sure how familiar Phil was with the pipes. But anyway, he used the pipes 
on the couple of songs that we did. And then Phil ended up in the in the Pogues. And then maybe, uh, probably within a year, I'd say, I remember getting a phone call from him and say I'm recording, I'm with this band called the Pogues and we're doing a couple of songs and we're looking for pipes and we're also looking for... Uh, someone who plays Cajun style fiddle, you know, and there's a guy called Henry Baina, and myself and Henry are married to two sisters. So Henry was a fiddle player from Nashville who was living in 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 uh, London, and his thing was traditional music. It wasn't he probably messed around with the other stuff, but he could do the the Cajun stuff with all the double stopping and the sliding on the fiddle. So the two of us went along to the session. I think. I think maybe we knew that they were doing Dirty Old Town, I can't remember. I'm not sure that I knew much about the Pogues, except they were causing some kind of a stir around the place, you know. But I was kind of operating in, a, in the, the Irish uh, music scene, so they hadn't really uh, gone on fire at that stage, you know. So we went along to the session. That's all I knew, it was Phil Chevron, and we walked into the room, the studio, and Henry... Uh, so this the, is the recording studio? This is the recording studio, So yeah. there's no rehearsals or anything? It was straight into it? No, we it? just arrived at the, at the recording studio, yeah. But and but you had record... Sorry, did you, <coughs> were you going straight into the recording session or did you have rehearsal time before the recording session? No, it was just... Um, we were doing a bit of... Re- the recording session is on... Be, be at such... I think it was Elephant Studios somewhere down in the docks. I'd be there at 8 o'clock. I remember it was in the evening. And, and they had the track already down? track was already down yeah. okay so we were tracking on you know uh-huh. um and we walked in and henry gave me a nudge and said do you see who that is over there and i didn't I said, that's elvis costello we didn't know he was the guy producing it you didn't recognize him i didn't probably just looking around the place where henry copped him before i did you know yeah. and uh he was the producer obviously of the, the producer album. of the album yeah mm-hmm. yeah i don't know was he was was he had he Teamed up with, uh, he went out with uh, Carter Reardon for, right. for, a, for a few years. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that was on the go at that stage or that, that developed was, later on. I think maybe. I was around around that time it was around coming time, into, yeah. it was blossoming around that time, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm sure it was all, I can't remember whether it was just one session or whether it was another one, but anyway, um, Dirty Old Town was the first one we did, so it was a matter you listened to it and then... They probably pointed out where they wanted to do it. It was an instrumental break, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of a key change in the song. That's right. And the pipes came in. That song is what well, <coughs> Costello, I think, did an amazing job in that album. And the reason why I say that is because two things are in my mind. Number one is he got the band rough and ready. You know, they were, if you listen to, um, uh, Red Roses for me, the first album. It's very rough. It's it's almost like a like a demo tape, yeah. and then Costello was able to get them up to a level. I'm guessing where he was able to get great, better performances and better arrangements out of them because he listened to Transmetropolitan, that opening track of the first mm-hmm. album. It goes on forever, yeah, yeah. and it, fantastic as it is, Costello was able to tighten the whole album up better. Yeah. And then you compare it to If I Should Fall from Grace with God. It's a much more polished album, and I think Costello has actually said that he wanted to capture them just before somebody came in and did a you know a really polished job yeah, on them. Yeah, and he did that perfectly, I think. And the second thing that's going on in my mind is "Dirty Old Town." 
it's what I would call a boring enough song because you have one verse which is repeated, you know, musically. Yeah. There's no chorus. And what he did was... Just the last line of each verse in the dirty old town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what he did was he, he has it in three different keys. Yeah. So you have the harmonica intro <coughs> by Andrew Rankin in a different key to the rest of the song. Yeah. And then the vocal starts off in G. I can't remember. I think the harmonica might be in D. And then, the, so you have the song taken in G. And then you have the solo, your part. Yeah, C. Yeah, it's in C. It's in C. So he jumps up to the fourth yeah. for that. And then comes back down to the G for the rest of the vocal part. Yeah. yeah. So do you know anything about that arrangement process? Was That that was all done? That was all done. That was all recorded. Yeah. So the minute I heard was in C... And my pipes are in D. So I said to them, yeah, my pipes are in D and that's in C. So they very speeded uh, the track. They, 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 brought, they sped the track up to D and I played along in D and then they brought the, brought the track oh. back down. Uh, which is why there's a kind of a mellow sound on the, on the chanter when it's playing in C. There are actually pipes in C, they're called flat pipes. Right. Uh, and I have those now. There's, D is what's called concert pitch, like in Irish music. So then there are pipes in C sharp. They're completely, you have to have everything separate, you know. But you could just have the chanter C sharp, C, B and B flat, you know. And then the G part was okay then because it was it to play that. But then... Later on, we were doing the the old grey whistle test, so I had to do do it live, and then I realised you can actually play it in C on the D chanter, because there's only a couple of notes in it. It's like a, it's like a five note scale, like a blues scale. So the notes, there's a lot of notes missing. It's only it's pent, pentatonic, I think they call yes, it, yes. a gapped scale. Yeah. So I could actually play it. So just play a few ghost notes. Uh, no, no, I could play it. I could replicate exactly what I did on the D chanter. Right. But in the studio at the time, I wasn't thinking. The minute I heard C without actually going through it, I said to him, oh, yeah, but I knew that I'd done recording before, so I knew they could vary speed. The so it's your and, idea to vary speed it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that meant that whenever you were recording it, it was playing faster? It was playing faster, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I never, you know, I never even thought that. I never yeah. even thought till now that... Is no, they can probably do it now digitally oh, yeah. to, uh, without speeding it up. Oh, for without sure. Without the speed being affected, yeah. you know. But the thing is, I, now I'm going back in my head as to, you know, trying to hear the tune, hearing if I can find that it has been very speeded. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Wow, you blow my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're saying there that um, it was all recorded, it was all uh, laid down beforehand, and... You don't know whose idea it was to change the key for the solo? No, as I said, that was all done. So mm. I don't know what they had in mind there or whose, whether mm. it was Elvis Costello's idea or the band's idea, I don't yeah. know. I don't know, had they been performing that live before that? I, I just don't know. Yeah. You have three parts to the Ellen Pipes. Yeah. Three, that, three I, notes. Yeah. Well, you have three different sounds. You have the chanter, which is playing the melody. So it just gets a wee blast of the chanter. That's like a tin whistle part. It's like the, the flute, the flute part of the yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Do, you mind, do you mind me making a video? Do you mind me making a video? No, it's not, no. Okay, so do you want to just explain how it all works? Yeah. So 
Well, first of all, it's it's a dry dry. It needs dry air because it's an indoor instrument. So if I was blowing into into this, uh, the reeds would all seize up. You know, so bagpipes you're blowing straight into the bag with the mouth, whereas I have a bellows that's supplying dry air. It needs dry air. Hence the name Illin. Illin, yeah. So Illin is Irish for elbow. Elbow. And the chanter then, and the main thing in the chanter is that it's a full two octaves. So it's got a much uh, wider range than the other bagpipes. Like ordinary bagpipes would have. And a note below that. So they don't have a two octave scale. Most of the bagpipes don't. So... This would have started off as an instrument that, that you held up off the knee like, like that. It was an instrument called the pastoral pipes. And at some point they modified the foot, the giant at the bottom, put it on the knee and realised by overblowing they could get a second octave. Explain overblowing. Just blowing, uh, you'd stop the chanter and pump harder. Right. It's just like blowing, blowing a second octave on a whistle, you know? Oh, okay, so more uh, pressure in and then higher yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so how you get the, the octave The reed there. jumps up to the second octave then. So you've got to be precise in the amount of air that you put in. What happens if, you do, if you're not precise? Yeah, well, you miss the octave maybe. You know? What's the sound like? Yeah. Can yeah. you give it a demonstration? Well, you just get the lower note. If I was trying to play, you just go... You okay, know. so it, it jumps up whenever there's enough. It's like a threshold. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's one sound. And the other sound that's familiar to, that's in common with nearly all the other bagpipes is there's some kind of a drawing, drone going on. So there's, there's three drones here, and they're tuned to the bottom note on the chanter, which is D in this case. There's actually three notes there now. There's the tenor drone. It's the same note as the bottom one, notes the chanter. And there's a middle one, which is slightly longer. It's the same note, D, an octave down. And then the bass drone is a much longer one as well. Another, another octave down again, giving another D. So the three of them together then. So you three D notes? Three D notes, yeah. Wow. Two octaves apart. Wow. So, so low octave, middle, and then higher octave. Yeah, and then you, that, that meets the higher octave. That, uh, the, the higher drone meets the bottom of the chanter. Mm. And then you're going another two octaves up on the chanter then, so there's like a, a four octave spread, mm. if you like, in tones. And do you twisted something there to tune it? What yeah, I that? must have knocked the tenor drone out of tune. The way you... The way you uh, tune the drones is by sliding them, you know. You can hear the wobble now if I put it out of tune. So it's basically you're lengthening the, the pipe or shortening the pipe to get the yeah, right Yeah, like a, like a trombone, the way you put mm. it. It's like yeah, a trombone yeah. slide, you know. Brilliant. Yeah. And then what what makes them uh, more distinctive again then is these, uh, there's three more kids. So there's, there's four reeds so far. There's a reed in the chanter, there's a reed in each of the, of the three drones, that's four reeds. And then there are three regulators. They're pipes 
that are stopped and they only sound when you press the keys. Mm -hmm. So there's three of those as well. You can play them. But if you play them in uh, twos and three, sometimes three, you get simple chords. What? They're third and support. Um, yeah, you have a D and an F, a D and a G, an F and an A. Yeah. So you get okay. different versions of the D and G chord. Mm -hmm. Most of our tunes are in D and G, so you get that. Mm -hmm. And then what about the, the, the bass ones on the regulator? It's the same as the top one, just an octave down. Are you out of tune in the top one? What? The, are, the top ones, are they out of tune there? No, no. Up, up. There was two at the top. No. But the bass one. At the top. Up. Up. The top one. This one? Yeah. Might be, yeah. Yeah. And then how do you tune that top one then? Uh, there's a rush in, there's a, a piece of wire going up inside it and you have little pieces of wax on it at a different point and you can adjust the tune and like that, you know. Oh, so the, you can't slide that, that... You can slide it, but that'll affect the over, that'll affect every note if okay. you do. Okay, right, right. There's a little pin here. Sometimes you just have to live with an odd out of tune Yeah, note. that's not a note you'd be playing much now on oh, its okay. own, you know. Okay, grand. So when you have the three of them together then... Like you get a you get a harmony with the drone and the chanter as well, like it. Wow! So, so, so you're. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you're playing them with your Aye. you're playing it with with your wrist, if you like, the heel of your wrist. You, yeah. you press down the keys. And are you playing? Can you angle your wrist to, to play the thirds? Because I noticed you're playing the are you playing the fifth, the fifths there? Um, well, you're playing the ones that are up. You're playing them. They're mostly opposite each other, except the bottom two here, Aye. where they're a bit apart. You have to angle like that. So you can angle. You're catching like that. those two. And, yeah. Wow. Such a complicated piece of equipment. <laughs> a bit, yeah. <laughs> but so, it's all gradual. Like when you're learning, you start off with um, you start off with what we call a practice set, which is the chanter. And to work the chanter, you need a bellows and a bag. Right. So you have a bag, bellows, and chanter. That's that's a practice set. That's what you'd start with. Right. And then you would add the drones, uh -huh. and then you would add the regulators. Maybe one at a time. Maybe just start off with one regulator. You know. So the bellows. I'm just realizing here. See, I've been around the Illin Pipe so many times and people are explaining to me in the middle of a session so you don't actually, you're not able to get it all in. But I'm, ex I'm looking at this, you're getting the bellows, you're pumping with one elbow and yeah. you're collecting so the, in the other. Yeah, the bellows, the bellows is your pump, is, is a pump. So where's the air coming from? There's a little valve here on right. this side. So the air goes in there. Yeah. There's a, there's a small leather flap in there, a little valve right. that stops when the air tries to go back out it's a non-return valve yes so the air can only go one way then so it travels across the tube uh -huh. so i just once i start pumping i just pump away right 
And there's, that's nothing to do with the pressure. You're just topping up the tank. The tank is the reservoir is the bag. You're keeping that full but, all the time. But surely the pressure can, is done on the from the bag. But surely you can you can put too much in, and it could burst. no, no, because the pressure, you know, is, is you no. It's it's really on the left hand side with the pressure on your elbow. You're con- controlling the rate that it's going into the channel. You know, okay. when you need extra for the second octave or whatever. You know. Okay. So and then it travels into the bag. There's another little non-return valve in here that okay. won't let it come out of the bag. So it can only travel first of all up to the chanter, right? And uh, through this stock here, all the other reeds for the drones and the regulators are all housed in that. Then you know. So what happens if you keep pumping and the bag's full? Um, it doesn't go in. Yeah, it's just stopping. The bellows, the bellows just want to press. Then you know. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to check my levels. Can you just uh, do a quick blast there, just to make sure? It's yeah. Oh yeah. These are just warmed, the chanter's warmed up, so I'm just bringing the others up, the others up to it now. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're going to have to do the dirty old town. Okay, yeah. And yeah, you're so going to have the drones going in this? No, then. I didn't. I only used the chanter. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Hi. I don't know how familiar were they were with the instrument, but uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't often use them in songs unless there were a particular kind of a song, you know, maybe a more traditional song where the drone might, might work for it, you know. So drones are more for tunes? More for tunes. You could use them in songs, okay, like obviously... Obviously, traditional songs and that you know, or someone might sing to a drone. You know, I should I should explain the difference. Well, you tell me the difference in a tune and a song. Well, yeah, we commonly uh, in traditional music anyway, the instrumental are all are all tunes. You know, and if it's got words, it's a song. As simple as <laughs> We'd that. often uh, you'd often get people coming up to you after you play a few tunes or a jig or a reel or whatever, and say. What's the name of that song, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's just a yeah. terminology, I suppose, you know? So you're saying that if there's a song being sung, um, the norm is that the, just the chanter, which is a tin whistle part of the Illin Pipes... Yeah, is yeah. unless it was a particular type song, you know? Mm. Like a drony type thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my son now, Parik, we were talking about him earlier on, he played... He, he, uh, plays with these uh, two girls who sing Shanos, mm-hmm. and... Uh, 
Well, they all play they all play instruments as well for but a certain amount of it. Then he accompanies them on the pipe, so he's got the drones going, yeah. and he's doing simple chord stuff on the regulators, and then maybe a bit of melody. Sometimes uh, notes harmonising with what they're singing. But I mean, the the Shano singing is perfectly set up. Mm. It's a, dr- a drone. Uh, um, Drony kind of music. Not drony is not the word. What's the word? Kind of a modal kind of a thing, you know. Where, yeah. Where, yeah. I sung a song the other day, and I, I I recorded the vocal late at night. It was a Chinese song for Chinese New Year, yeah. and I just had a drone. I was trying to I was trying to do it live, you know, with the guitar and all the rest. But because I'm singing in Chinese, it was tricky. So I just had a drone working throughout. And I sang the entire song just with one note playing throughout, with a drum beat playing. And then I layered the instruments on top. So you can do that with um, a song that's, as you say, modal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Should we do Dirty Hill Time? (laughs) We're we're talking so much. Okay, let me record the video for this. Okay. Yeah, so it was just the melody of the song and I... Did some kind of a little tag, a little line on the end of it. You ready, yeah? So if I played in C now, just to give you... Now, that would have come out in C, but I can actually play it in C. I just start the note lower, and I have it. There's different notes then, different feel to... I could have done that if I had it, if I had have thought of it at the time, but that's what I had to do whenever I was doing it live. Then you know, otherwise I'd have, I would have had. If it was tricky, I would have had to use a a C chanter, you know. But the tune has only got a five notes in it, you know. I noticed there at the end of the solo, if you like, what are you doing with your other? Are you do- yeah, you're trying to add color to the notes a lot. So you know, if I now there's not much you can do with the that yeah. F note. And when I come to the, if I just go, but you can lift it, and you can add vibrato down to it. So what is that note? You're adding a second note there. Is that it? No, I'm not. It's the same note on the knee. It's just, it's like singing, and then in, you know, they can add vibrato and singing and. So so what is that note that you're playing? Is that the C? Well, it's an A. uh, At the moment, it's an A. But it's a note that works nice off the off the knee. When you whenever you lift the chanter, yeah. you're kind of changing the tone right. slightly. And then by by wobbling the f- certain fingers on the bottom chant, it changes the pitch ever so slightly. And that's so, it's like if uh, violin players, fiddle players would 
shake their hand to do it, you know, slightly, yes. and there's a way of doing it on the flute, and yeah. you know, as I say, singers doing it. So vibrato, I think they call so, it. So, are you adding like, is there a gap between? I'm trying to think here. So it's no, the right it's a continuous hand, sound, but but it's the right hand. So you're using the middle finger. Is that what it is? Yeah. So if you had used your index finger, what would happen? Okay. Slightly different, you know, slightly stronger. And do, would you use the index finger sometimes? You might do, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one might be too strong for a slow tune, you know. Slightly softer, you know. Yeah. But if you were playing, say, a dance tune... Or a march, say in that case, where you where it's a short note, but you really want wanted to jump out, uh-huh. you could use a stronger one there. You know, the yeah. same on the the thumb note. There's a there's a load of effects you can get on that different fingers. One finger, two, and I think this is the one Paddy Maloney used three. Okay, and Liam Flynn did one with the top finger. And you can hear you can hear the way that one changes the tone a good but the the pitch of the note. You know, so you can really colour it, you know. So whenever you're listening to CDs from the chieftains, are you listening to that minutiae of detail sometimes? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're saying, yeah. oh, he's, he's using he's using the thumb there. He's using the, the yeah. index finger. Yeah, and especially then if you can see them playing, which Aye. is which is great, you know. These days when they you can watch a video and maybe cop what someone is doing. And who is it that you like to listen to? <clears throat> that I like to listen to. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, I would have I would have been attracted into the music probably here in the likes of Maloney and. And Liam Flynn, you know. So Liam, or sorry, Paddy Maloney, he he's got the chops. Oh yeah, he was a he was a fantastic uh, chanter player, you know. Uh, I remember hearing the early Chieftains when I wasn't that familiar with with the music and uh, the way they arranged the music. You got the chance to hear each of them and the way they arranged the music. Each of them took little breaks, little solos, uh-huh. and whenever it came to Maloney, like he hit you between the eyes, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the but but Liam Flynn was a was a fabulous player as well. And then of course I'd go back to the the older players then, you know, that they would have learned from. I was lucky enough to meet Seamus Ennis a few times. So and then uh would listen to him a lot and then uh, the recordings of Willie Clancy then. I missed Willie Clancy. I was late enough getting into the music. I was in my very late teens, so I missed Clan- Willie Clancy by a year or two to, to have met him and seen him play, you know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting the way you talk about that, the way you say, is that what I'm listening for? Like, I heard some ex- explaining at once, like, the different levels are at the music. Like, you've, you have people that think we're playing the same tune all night kind of thing, you know, <laughs> mm, yeah. that don't hear the difference between the tunes. So I suppose at the most basic level, if you play Irish dance music for someone, at the most basic level, someone who's never heard it before will probably tap their foot and tap it in the right place that they'll get the rhythm. And then as you get more familiar, you maybe start identifying the different, the difference between a jig and a reel. And then maybe you start getting familiar with the tunes and you can you can identify certain tunes. But then when you really dig down, then you're getting into 
the way they vary it, you know, just vary the melody. And then there's all the little ornamentation and all the little grace notes are going in. And then there's a level of subtlety in that. So there are different kind of levels of it, really, you know. Have you ever met an Ilan Pipe player who's recognised that you use very speed on Dirty Old Town? Uh, no, well, I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> it hasn't come up that often now that I'd be talking about it. But, you know, people would no, know... No, but there is a sea chanter, you see. And that's, if I had used a sea chanter, that just sounds like a sea chanter there. Okay, okay. So that's ex- like I have a sea chanter, and that's exactly what it would sound like. I'm thinking the the sound wave, and I, you know, I'm into production, so I'm thinking the sound wave must be a little bit rounder because it's been slowed down. And, you know, I'm getting into the minutiae yeah, here yeah. of the sound waves. <coughs> so, um, but you wouldn't... Have you, have you met Paddy Maloney, for example? Uh, I've just seen his company a few times. I wouldn't have known him uh, okay. personally. He didn't come up to you and say, "How did you do that?" <laughs> <coughs> I know, no, it no, it wouldn't jump out. They'd, no, okay, no. yeah, 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 because it would sound natural enough. Because there is um, now there was times when I, I remember I did some recording and I had to bring it up to E flat, mm. and I don't think the pipes work great up there. You can kind of spot that. Like, I know Liam Flynn has done a couple of things in E-flat and possibly Maloney as well. And I would spot that straight away. I'd say, well, they didn't get an E-flat mm. chanter for that. They've done it on the D and the track was slowed down to them. And yeah. then it was brought back up yeah. to E-flat, you know, because you can, you, you know that the pipes sound a tiny bit compromised or a bit unnatural in that pitch, you know. But you, there are chanters, as I say, in all the lower pitches. So it could have been, mm. could have been a C chanter and that's what it would sound like. I was talking to, well, you heard the recording, Kevin Burke, and uh, he was talking, first of all, he explained the difference between a violin and a fiddle. Violins play in B flat and fiddles play in G and D. So in other words, the open strings. And then he was saying about doing a concert or a tour or whatever, and he had to have three violins because, or t- three fiddles because they were pitched differently. And one of them was E flat. Okay. So you yeah. couldn't do that with your, you couldn't have three sets of Ellen pipes sitting there. Yeah, well, I, ha- I mean, I have them. I have a full a full set in B. Mm-hmm. Everything is in B. Everything is longer, and I have right. a C set as well. So I have them in in the other keys if you need okay. them. Like it's this. Um, some people like to play in those lower pitches, which were probably the the real old pipes were in those pitches, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they they think that the concert pitch set set of pipes was developed in America. For the for louder being louder and playing in big halls and yeah. that you know so the the real the I think the lower pipes are much mellower and lovely and fiddles would tune down maybe to them and and it's beautiful sound you know the the, the flat pipes I should ask this earlier those pipes there are they the ones that played on the album they're not no they're at home <laughs> <laughs> these are a relatively new set. Uh-huh. Uh, made made about seven or eight years ago by a great pipe maker called Benedict Kohler, mm-hmm. who's based in Vermont, mm-hmm. but he makes them based on on the old the old uh, Vermont. S- what well, is that? Because they're not being made in Ireland? Or? Oh no, they're being made in Ireland. Yeah, there's a huge there's a huge revival in the whole thing, especially especially in the 
in the making and making reads and all that, you know. Like there was yeah. a famous, uh, like the, there's an organisation called um, Nipibri Ilan, uh, the, the Society of Ilan Pipers, if you like, and they were formed in 1968 as a kind of a rallying call that the people realised the thing might have been in danger. And they reckon there was only about 100 people playing anywhere. Uh, at that point, and there was only one full-time maker, a man called Leo Rousen. He died two years later. So that the organisation was founded then. And between that and, and, I suppose, the rise in the interest in folk music in general in the 70s and 80s and all that, there, there are people playing them all over. Like There's thousands of members. Like I often get people coming up to me saying, oh, God, you never see those now. There's no one playing. There's more people playing them than ever. Mm. And there's people making them like he's making. There's a couple of makers in, in um, couple of makers in America. They're all over Europe. And the joke w- would used to be years ago. Oh, she'd be able to get your pipes made in Japan, and now you can. There's a fantastic uh, uh, pipe maker called Makoto who makes really great pipes, and he's he's Japanese. So just they're making them all over the place now, and. Uh, the organisation and uh, the people are concentrating on that and uh, videoing the, the great makers these days and all that all that's available as a resource. It was a kind of a dark art before mm. the whole reed making thing, you know, trying to make pipers uh, in uh, more independent of the pipe maker and being able to make their own reeds and all that kind of thing. You know, the thing about Asians and and, and no one being very general. I'm thinking about South Koreans, Japanese, and Chinese. Is that yeah, and these, this is the experience of these people that I've encountered. And I'm being very generous here, I know. However, they take it on in a real um, obsessive way whenever they get into Irish trads. So Sean Og, my friend, who introduced me to Jalen Chu, he's in South Korea now, and he was explaining that these people just, they just go into the minutiae of, of you know, trills and vibrato and all the rest and really dig deep into that you know yeah yeah and so it doesn't surprise me that great pipes are being made in japan yeah 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 yeah. Mm. so another another song actually that you played on there was a solo for old main drag is that correct yeah they were only they were only i was listening back to that because i'd forgotten about it i'm only playing a couple of notes on that i'm kind of copying something that was done on one of the other instruments you know right so i'm just playing this is this very it's a very simple thing that i'm doing on it you know can, can you give us a little blast you probably need me to play a banjo or something on it yeah, oh, no, you, the, you've got a you, you've got a drone part in this. So there's a yeah, break. Yeah, but it, there's there's a drone at the start, but it's in a, it must be the piano accordion oh, or something. Yeah, it it's is, not it me. Is. So but much then later on, I come in. Yeah, it's a. Yeah, we come I'm in just, later. I'm just playing very. I'm just a very simple. It's just something like that, just that ties in with it's the song. It's beautiful. You know? I love that. Yeah. It's so simple. <coughs> so I think one of the other instruments is doing that earlier on, so maybe I maybe I just copied that. It's a piano record. But then you have a there's a part where it all stops and you're you go up to D maybe and you're holding the D drone there. <coughs> I don't remember using the drone on that now. That might be the other mm. it might be uh one of the other instruments, you know. Okay, okay. Replicating the drone yeah. on it, you know. And were you given what? Who was giving you the direction for your solos, or was there not? Well, it would have been Elvis Costello would have been uh, the producer there, you know. Now, uh, when I did the break in Dirty Old Town, it's basically 
the melody of the song, you yes. know. Except at the very end, which I probably... Instead of... I did... Which works as an instrumental, but it would probably cut across someone singing Dirty Old Town, mm. Dirty Old Town, mm. or that plane. Da, 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 but which works musically. I, so I probably threw that in on my own and they were happy with it, you know. Because so. I was thinking whenever you're playing that, it's, that's, that part there is actually quite bluesy. Yeah, yeah. And where did that come from? Was that you were listening to blues or what? Yeah, I listened to blues before I listened to traditional music. Did I used you? to be big into um, John Mayall. And then I, and from him then you'd start finding out names like uh, Sunhouse and Sonny by Williamson and Sonny Terry and all that. So I used to have all these blues harmonicas and wow. all that, you know. The Jews harp? Yeah. Uh, well, no, the little blue, the, oh, the, the, the harmonicas. The yeah. harmonicas themselves. So, and I still love that. Absolutely mm -hmm. love it, yeah. That's funny, I spotted that. Yeah, <laughs> but then in in the, when Dirty Old Town comes back, I'm just thinking now when it comes back in, then in G, I was probably whatever little lines I'm doing there, like a, where they use I heard a siren on the docks and yeah. yeah. I do little lines like that, which I post sound a little bit bluesy, but um, Call in a situation like that, they probably usually. Uh, Tell you see what see what you want to play there, and they just let the track run, and I'm not really just copying the melody, so I'm improvising there, I suppose you know. That is blues, and yeah. they might give you a few runs at it and record it all and decide what they want to take then. Yeah, you know, right? They usually wouldn't go in and someone saying, oh, "Here's exactly what you want to play." Sometimes you might play from from the whole start of the tune to the end the song and be. Bits of melody, bits of call and response, bits of harmony, and then they, they can pick out what they want, and you know they can strip it away to suit the way they want. And how long were you in this in the recording studio for? I think it was only one night. I don't remember going back. Night. So uh, what time? Uh, it was probably seven or eight. Seven or eight. Until. Back, uh, probably usually about a three-hour thing, you know. Wow. Henry did the fiddle then on 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 uh, the Cajun kind of fiddle on. Uh, dirty old town so he wouldn't have had a problem with the different keys obviously so but he's only playing on the break i think and i don't think he played on the other two songs then either you know mm -hmm. but i did other we did other recording sessions then they brought out an ep that's uh, right puggetry in motion yeah, yeah so we're on a few tracks on that and know? that's got that uh, really night in soho and one of my one of my kind of nice memories is when i arrived to, for that recording session, Shane was uh, on the other side of the screen doing the vocals for The Rainy Night So. Wow. So he's, in, and you're doing live with him? No, no, I wasn't on that track at all. He was finishing the vocal on that track. Yeah. And then we were, I was coming in to play on the, whatever tracks I did for Pogetry. Pogetry and so Marshall. there's London Girl, Body of an American, I think that's on Body of American, there's a polka on it then. Yeah. Noel Hill, is he? Pixie Noel Hill? That's Hills? right, yeah. It's a couple of things like that. Actually, Henry might have been on that as well. But uh -huh. he was just finished. Whatever time we were given to go in, he was in there uh, doing his vocal for, for on his own with the headphones on for, for the... I'm having to Google it here. So it's going by memory there. So track listing. London Girl, you're not in that. 
No. Rainy night in Soho. You're on that. No. No, no you're no, not on that. No, you said. But <laughs> you, but you said you saw him singing it. Yeah, he was in. He was in the studio. We were in the control room, and he was in in there finishing off his vocal on that. God. And Elvis was Elvis Costello was. So whenever we see that. finishing off, that implies that he was doing a few takes, a few runs at it. Yeah, yeah. He was obviously. He probably. Excuse me. He probably had done a rough vocal, you know, mm. for the for the session, and then so okay, we'll go in and do the proper vocal now. Maybe they felt it needed improving or whatever, you know. And do you know if he would have would he have done many takes and then they choose one take or would they probably yeah <coughs> probably a few run throughs or maybe say the the second verse just do that one again or whatever yeah, you yeah. Know, but I can't remember the ins and outs of it now. Yeah, body of American. Yeah, so you play them that. Yeah, I think I'm on that one. Yeah. Do you remember how to play it? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a long there's one that's kind of a, like a slow air. They had it all done. I had to go in and to go in and uh, try. Jeez, that one might have been very speeded as well. And I think I do use my drones on that. There's one of them. Uh, what is? Oh God, it's so long ago. I think I do use drones on. Uh, There's one that's, what's the one that goes, um, there we go. Forgotten it now, but there's something like that. It's that's like, it. That's it's, it. It's like a slow air, almost, yeah. You know, so that one. Now the drones worked in that obviously because there yeah. was. I don't think there was any big chord things going on, you know, uh, where and where the the D drone might clash that it mightn't be in the chord, you know. So Shane wrote that song. Is that correct? I presume you did. I think yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. I'm just checking Google here. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <coughs> yeah, he wrote that. So. How was that information conveyed from his brain to your fingers? Well, well, the the, um, the track was done, as I say, when I, when when I go in, and there is someone else doing that melody. The, it could be the whistle and the accordion. Yeah. So I'm kind of copying that, and maybe in a couple of places I depart a little bit, you know, uh-huh. so that it works works with with uh, the structure of the thing, you know. Mm. You know? And did you play Planksy Noel Hill? Yeah, yeah. Can you remember that? God. <laughs> You're going to say no and then play it perfectly. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're going to say no and play it perfectly. Something like that, you know? Brilliant. I met him. There's a whole history there between... Them and him, because he's yeah, a purist. Well, I met him over the way. I met him yesterday. But um, yeah, you see, the, the Pogues thing, so there was a whole ruckus about him. And uh, I don't know, were a few people looking funny at me because I had played with them. But I, I didn't. I probably might have been on, this, on that side of the fence. Like, they got a big slagging off. So you're saying from, that there's a... 
I, I'm, I'm looking for a better word than snobbery of, of uh, the, the trad purists, if you like. Yeah, but you see, the, the, the Pogues never said, we're, we're playing Irish music and we're changing Irish music and we're developing Irish but music. But they were? But that was other people gave them all labels. If you listen back to that, there's that um, press conference was in Dublin and Noel spoke at that. And uh, Frank Murray is jumping in there for the pokes and they, they didn't say any of this. The press are saying this about him, you know. Like they weren't taking, like Noel would be like what I'm playing now, jigs and reels and hornpipes and old, a lot of very old music and playing it great. But they weren't taking that and they might have had the flavour of the instruments and that and some of them had an Irish background and that, but um, they were doing what they're doing. Now, as I said, if I had nothing to do with them, I probably would have jumped in on the chorus and been slagging the hell off them. But when I went and played, what I was doing, I was just playing on songs. I wasn't compromising anything I was doing. It wasn't influencing anything I was doing when I went back to playing traditional music. And uh, they were great fun. <laughs> they were great fun, which I wouldn't have known if I, had, if I hadn't come across them. Yet. Like we got to do live gigs with them as well. Normally, in lots of the recordings I did, you go along and do the session and that's it. But whenever they did their big gigs then around Patrick's Day in London and that, uh, we myself and Henry would get a call and we did lots of things like that with them. And uh, we did a big festival up the country in England somewhere and... Um, and then we did the old grey whistle test, which which was a nice one to play on as well, you know. So um, so yeah, I look back on it all kind of fondly, you know. <laughs> and how much of the set would you have been playing with them for? Just the songs that we'd recorded on, you know, whichever okay. ones they were doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I when I listen to some of the others, uh, what's the one now that, that uh, Christy Moore has recorded as well? There's a lovely song that uh, it's in G and it would have been gorgeous on the pipes, but I didn't know they were singing it at the time, you know. A Pair of Brown Eyes. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a lovely song. Can you play that? I can't, I, no, no, but I'm just saying it was in G. I, my daughter started, was playing it a lot when I was in China there recently, you know, or you started hearing a lot of the songs a lot more around the time that Shane died when they were playing them, you know. You can play it, I'm sure you can. How does it start? Um, On some kind of a traditional mm. sound and melody you know now there's one note there that went super high pitched there you lost the, the mid or the low yeah just a little overblown I, so got, I, overblown. I got a second octave uh, it was more of a fingering thing so you have to stop the chanter for a second to get the overblow like like if I'm playing a say I'm playing a G now no matter how hard I blow that it won't jump up mm. but I have to Close the holes for a fraction. And there's the little stop, and the stop then, 
when you come back in after the stop, that's when it shows it jumps up. You know. Wow. Such a complicated piece of machinery. So there would be certain tunes, you know, in the very... It's not... That wouldn't be a problem in a song, but there's certain tunes now in traditional music where you could... where there'd be jumping octaves, and that would be easy done, say, on a fiddle where you're just bouncing from one string to another, but it could be too fast for what's going on on the pipes to be able to do that. So there might be certain tunes that... As we call them, they wouldn't be pipe friendly, so you just mm-hmm. leave them alone. And then there's obviously a whole body of tunes that uh, that do sound great on the pipes because they exploit all the different things you can do, you know. Uh-huh. So let's go back to the first song that made me think of you, and that is A Man You Don't Meet Every Day. Yeah. And that's the, the final song that you played on, on the album. Yeah, that's I, probably I, one now that I'd never... And this would happen a lot. You wouldn't necessarily always get sent. Sometimes nowadays because it's so easy to to create an MP3 in the studio and they say, oh, we'll send you on the tracks and have a listen. And they can email them to you or WhatsApp to, apps them to you so you might have the stuff to listen to. But say that one now, I don't think I'd have heard that tune before I went in there. So they'd play it for you for a few times. And I'm doing the kind of thing you'd usually end up doing in the studio there where I'm bouncing around between the melody and sometimes putting in little bits of harmony, you know. Uh, and and would, so you weren't getting much direction from Casella, or...? Probably not, except they might have said, oh, I like that little bit you did there or whatever, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, have another go at that, but keep that little bit in or whatever. And was it a relaxed environment? Oh, yeah, yeah. Was there loads of booze? No, I don't remember there being booze, you know. I remember when the pipes were being mic'd up, when they were micing up the pipes and I was playing them. I remember him standing there and he was kind of blown away with the sound. I don't think he'd heard him before. He worked later on, though, with uh, um, Davis Balan, I know for sure, maybe others as well. On but the Spike I, but, album. But I know, because I think it was Phil Chevron's idea, I'm sure it was Phil Chevron's idea to use the pipes. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm sure then it was Elvis Costello's first time hearing them, you know. Because wow. he used them very effectively on the Spike album. Yeah. And the Spike album has got, it's almost like a, an album of five different flavours. You have a few songs that are very trad sounding. You had um, New Orleans style. You had a... <coughs> Lennon and McCartney, except it's uh, Elvis Costello and Paul McCartney. Yeah. A couple of them songs. And so you had these very different um, fields in, ter- in terms of music, you know. Yeah. But um, the, the Irish, you know, that song, Any King's Shilling, uh, um, Tramp the Dirt Down, um, I think there's a few others where he uses the Illin pipes and they're very much a big feature of yeah, those yeah. songs. Yeah, David Spillane really was fantastic at... at uh, he really carved a niche for himself the way he could uh, sit in on all that stuff, you know. And oh, was he full of the same questions that I'm asking you? You know, where's the sound come from? And, <laughs> and whenever, whenever Casella was seeing, whenever he was seeing you play the first time, was he full of those questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, how, how the hell did they work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, lots, you know, lots of people aren't familiar. They do look a bit of a mystery, you know? Yeah, yeah. I remember when I when I started playing, first I was playing a whistle and then a mandolin and then I came across this 
great piper in Washford, Tommy Carney, and I used to play with him playing the whistle and the mandolin, and I used to be looking at him playing the pipes, never ever thinking, sure, how could I possibly ever play those, you know? Mm. And um, he saw my interest in it then, and he explained to me, you know, you should probably think about playing pipes, and, you know, you can get a practice set, you start off with a practice set, and he kind of made it all sound possible and organised the practice set for me and gave me lessons, so... You know, but you nowadays they start at nine or ten, and there's no there's fantastic young pipers now. You know, so it's not the mystery it was, and the you can get better instruments now for starting as well. You know, I know a good few musicians now to play other instruments that maybe had a go at the pipes and didn't have the best pipes. You know, but the the consistency that they're making them now. And the other thing was, you could have to wait years for a set of pipes. You could, some nine-year-old might want a set of pipes and it could be a six or seven-year waiting list because there was so few making them. So another scheme that uh, uh, that the, the Pipers Association, the Peabreal, and have is they have a pipes on loan scheme. That if you, so long as you can can show that you can get regular lessons off someone. They'll give you a loan of a practice set for a year or two. Is that with Coltus as well? Uh, I don't think Coltus have that scheme now, no, no. Mm. Um, the Peabreeling kind of grew out of, uh, well, was established. Um, a lot of the found some of the founders were involved in Coltus as well, but they felt that the pipes needed its own special attention, if you like, as regards an organisation catering solely for the pipes, you know. But the pipes and loan scheme is fantastic because when I was teaching, my son is teaching kids now and they all have the little practice set from the Peabreal and for one or two years. So at least there's no major investment there that maybe you just throw it in the corner after a while. If you do give it up, there's no huge money being lost, mm. you know, uh, and having invested in an instrument. And you do have two or three years to decide that you're going to stick at it and you can put put in your order then with a maker, you know. So it's a great scheme. I saw your son actually performing the Queen one night with Parik Donaha. Oh, yeah, Parik O'Donoghue, the banjo, yeah. Banjo player, yeah, yeah. <coughs> so Was that at a launch they did? Or? Uh, it could have been, it could have been. And Colin Broderick was in the audience. <coughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got Liam Clancy's... Uh, uh, um, Liam O'Flynn's. Liam O'Flynn's, sorry. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Flynn's the D set, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they were left to and the Peabreelin, and the then uh, they were he left two sets to Peabreelin, a flat set as well, um, and they were both given out to players. Does it? They wouldn't be. Isn't that brilliant? He was telling me. I was talking to Colm afterwards, and um, can't remember who. It was it was Park um introduced us, and. Um, we were we were talking about you know what what was this akin to, and we both agreed that it was akin to Mozart leaving his piano for somebody to play. You know, <laughs> it's like that. You yeah, know? yeah. So okay, we're gonna we're gonna finish up. I think so. Do you want to finish up with playing a man you don't meet every day? Is there anything that you want to say before we finish up? <coughs> Not really. No. I mean, this is very much a flashback to the past now. Yeah. <laughs> this stuff was 35 years ago. And as I say... Um, What's it like revisiting this? Yeah, it's, it's nice, nice memories, you know. I have nice memories. I spent seven years in London, so... <coughs> nice memories at that time, you know. Mm. 
uh, especially all the great Irish musicians that I played with there, you know, you listed a lot of them at the start. A lot of those were uh, just names to me, having heard them on radio or on record or whatever. And when I went to London, then I actually got to play with a lot of them, you know. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned there about going on tour or, or doing a few gigs with the Post. Yeah. Tell us some of those stories. Well, they were just in London, as I said. Whenever they'd have, they, they, there was a big deal about the the gigs that were around uh, Paddy's Day, Patrick's Day, around March, you know. Mm-hmm. And they'd usually do one in Hammersmith or some of the other big places, and they'd be, uh, oh, to be, be mad like the <laughs> before or during or afterwards. <laughs> during during the whole thing, like you do. The crowd's reaction to what they were doing, you know, they were, they were so energetic as like going into the Coliseum. Like, they were like a punk, a punk band, I suppose, you know. So we'd be brought out then for our um, for the little spot that we were doing, you know. Are we all in the middle or towards the end or? Be in the middle of it, yeah, mm. yeah. And another nice one I got to do, I see, see the video recently, is uh, they they teamed up with the Dubliners. They did a version of um, what was the one they did. The Railway Mountain Dew they did and yeah. um The Irish Rover. Irish Rover, yeah. And they were doing it on uh they were doing one of the Saturday night T V shows in London and Spider Stacy I hadn't been involved in that at all. But Spider Space Stacy was away, so they got me in to play the whistle. So I'm on that video with the Dubliners and uh the Pogues playing that, so that's brilliant. That's a nice Or was he at a football match or something? He was in he was off in America doing something, I think, you know. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what he was doing, but um, yeah, I got to fill in on that and uh, meet and play the dub with the Dubliners, which was great. I met him once at um, it was the the launch of Jim Feiner's Long Player. Jim Feiner, the banjo player, <coughs> yeah, has got this uh, piece of music playing for a thousand years. I tell my kids this, and they're blown away. I don't know about this. Yeah, yeah it, you know, Jim studied um, computers. Uh, back in the day, whenever a computer was the size of a room. And um, so he's come up with this piece of music. It's Tibetan bowls. And the way it's working is that it's basically a loop, but it's always changing. So you never have the same piece of music playing. And it's always evolving. And it's playing for a thousand years. And it's playing Trinity Wharf in London. It's a lighthouse. And then... He was saying that um, it's. I've met him a few times, and he was saying that um, he's trying to get it out of the computer and then into various places. But if you go to longplayer.org, you'll be able to hear it okay, there. And it's actually, I went to a live performance of it where it was played for three days, twenty four hours, or something each day. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> different musicians would come along and play. So part of the performance, as I say, they're all Tibetan bowls. So it's very, um, very ambient, you know, and um, quite soothing and very relaxing. I remember I went there with my friend and we just had a very relaxing time with it all. But he, yeah, he's a, he's a certain character. And Spider was, was at that. So was Daryl Hunt, Lord okay, Reston. Yeah. yeah, I met him as well. I was, he was just a roadie. I, I remember he was just a roadie and he, stood, he ended up playing bass then after right. Kocha Reardon left, you know. I was playing a, a gig in a toilet in London. One of those, you know, just underground toilets and they convert them into bars. Okay. And uh, this is outside um, uh, Spitalfields Market in Liverpool Street, around that area. And 
there was these guys on computers generating code and I was rapping Askilga top. And who was in the, I say audience, who was in the toilet with us, but uh, it was Jim Feiner and Daryl. And um, that's how I sort of connected with those fellas yeah, for the first yeah. time. And of course, he co-wrote the, the big Christmas one. Yeah, yeah. Fright Tale New York. Jim wrote that with, yeah, uh, yeah. with Shane, yeah. It's incredible, yeah. yeah. I met him briefly at the funeral, but um, yeah, it is very brief because of the circumstance. Yeah, yeah. The funeral was the day we were we actually drove. We were going to Dublin Airport on a bus, just after the funeral had gone through. That was the day, the eighth of December, when yeah. we were on our way to China. Mm. So I wasn't at the funeral, you know. Okay, we'll play us out with. Uh, yeah, it might sound a bit out of context now without anything else going on with it, but it's just I'll just play the melody out. Uh, some kind of a link Salt Hill Media Original Podcasts and Production. 